welcome to the Tales of Teaching podcast, a place where I hope you can find inspiration, creativity, and most importantly, someone to relate to. Teaching can be tough, as I'm sure you know, so I'm hoping this can be a space where we can motivate one another to take teaching to a whole new level. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode now 14 of the Tales of Teaching podcast. I, I feel like this week's going to be a good one, and it's not only just because 14 is my literal lucky number, but I think I have a good topic for you guys today. Um, it, it can be just kind of nostalgic to listen to, or it can, I feel like, I feel like it'll be informational for um, new teachers or student teachers, as well as maybe kind of put some of your fears aside. And this week, I'm going to be kind of talking about things that might have scared you either your first year teaching, when you're a student teaching, um, and kind of how to put that fear aside. So I'm kind of hoping to maybe give you some strategies or give you a sense of mind with um, some of the things, I mean, don't get me wrong, this is still my fourth year, so there are still some things that freak me out, and I'm going to let you know right now, there will be things that will freak you out and scare you until you the day you retire. Um, but these were ones that I feel like I felt, I even put like a survey out there for my Instagram to kind of see other teachers and what they were scared of their first year of teaching. And I feel like I've definitely got a collective group of items that I definitely felt all these things. And I'm sure if you have not had a class of your own that you definitely will feel these things. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right in um, to my favorite, or I guess kind of my fear and my fear. And I, again, I've talked about this before you guys. Um, and that was dealing with parents. I, I work really well with students. I work really well with kids. I've always had such a love for kids. I was the eldest of my family and the oldest of a lot of my cousins. Um, so I just kind of was always surrounded by little kids and just had like, such a love for it. So the kid part really didn't scare me. Um, it was the, the parent side and them thinking I was not competent enough to have this job. Uh, especially if you're a new teacher and if you're a younger teacher, I feel like a lot of times parents kind of come up to you and they look at you, especially when it's your first year and they kind of almost think, hmm, you haven't had a single year of teaching and you're, and I'm going to entrust you to, you know, teach my kid. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. Um, I definitely did get a little bit of that. My very, very first year, I had had this little parent that came up to me and said, you've only been teaching for one year. I really don't think that you're going to be able to be able to handle it. And <laughs> again, that can kind of come up a little bit aggressive, but I just kind of looked at him like, okay, well, kind of, I will show you, I guess. Um, and I'm not going to tell you that every single parent's like this. I was in a very small community and I feel like they just loved the teacher that I left. And so I kind of was coming, kind of coming into kind of a harsh environment. And so I think if you just kind of go about it as positively as possible, like, you know, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I'm just letting you know I am going to enjoy having your child in your class and I'm just going to let you know that they are, I feel like they are going to learn a lot from me. I'm fresh out of school, yes, but I feel like I'm full with fresh ideas and that's kind of what I gave them and left it at that and I'm not even going to, I'm not even joking with you guys. At the end of the year, that same parent came up to me and told me that their child had probably learned more in my class than any of the other classes that they had had. And so, yes, someone may have a negative outlook on you because you are young, but I almost want to say don't let that stop you. Um, honestly, that's 
basically the worst of your worries your first year of teaching. So I just kind of pushed it off to the side and said, you know what, if they're going to have that opinion in me, that's fine. Um, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Um, and I'm just going to kind of do my job um, and just, you know, kind of leave it at that, I guess. I am going to say, however, that if you are a younger teacher like me, kind of when you got started, I definitely feel like you have to kind of put forth your maturity. And this, let me explain. Um, every opportunity that I have, I dress as professionally as I can. I act as professionally as I can. I don't have my phone out. Like I wear slacks and a nice shirt. My whole first year of teaching at the new school that I'm at now, and I'm not saying that I dress down now, but my whole first year, I just really wanted to set the tone that yes, I'm young, but I'm professional and I mean business. Cause I think a lot of times there's kind of a stigma with younger teachers like, ugh. They don't know what they're doing. They're not professional. They just sit there and mess around um, with my kids. They're not knowledge-based. And so I really wanted to kind of set forth that I'm professional, I'm on time, I'm punctual. Um, if you're someone that's not on time, I would highly recommend maybe giving yourself a false clock. So I, for the longest time, used to be really bad with running late. And so what I would do in my kitchen is I would set my kitchen clock, right, um, a little bit five minutes ahead or, you know, 10 minutes ahead so that... It, you would look at the clock and be like, ah, shoot, it's this time I need to get going. But really, it's you're giving yourself kind of a little leeway with 10 minutes. Um, I just always really tried hard to always be on time, always be early, especially like with any district-wide events. I wanted all district employees to know who I was. So I would always kind of say hello to them. Hi, remember me? I'm Haley. Um, and re reintroduce myself. And again, I was always professional. Um, and I don't know if this is just because I was in a sorority, but whenever we had our meetings, they were always like super intense about making sure you're addressing professionally. So skirts, I always had at least to the knee, maybe a little bit um, higher. I Again, guys, working with kids, you don't want skirts and dresses to be super short because you're constantly going up and down. I, am, I never showed my shoulders. I, when you were, you know, pants they always say you were supposed to wear like a blazer with it um and I never wore like super v-neck cut things I mean again you're working with kids you want to make sure you're being modest yet professional and so I didn't wear jeans the whole first year of teaching just because again I wanted to look professional whenever a parent was going to be there especially during parent conference week I kind of dressed it up a little bit more um whenever there were parent nights where I knew parents were going to be there I always wanted to look as nice as I could and again any district-wide things anytime I was going to the district I would make sure that I was in like a nice outfit okay I didn't want them to catch me in jeans and a flip-flops because then again I'm young, I wanted them to kind of see how I was professional. And so that, I guess, to me, is kind of your number one tip. If you're a younger teacher, it's your first year, dress professionally as you can. And my school district has a pretty lax dress code. I could literally go to school every day probably wearing jeans and be fine. My principal wouldn't say anything. But for me, I think, you know, you'd kind of, my, my husband always does this saying, look good, feel good, play good, right? Which is funny because, you know, he's in sports, so that's kind of what they did. So if you dress the part, you're going to kind of play the part. And so I hate when teachers kind of come to school. And again, this is not me, you know, talking-ish on teachers that want to come to school and whatever they come to school in because I get it. You want to be comfy. But I think, especially when you're younger too, if you dress the part too, I think your kids will kind of have more respect, like you mean business, where as if I were to wear kind of regular clothes, especially during my first year when you're, you're not as confident as you are a couple years down the road, they see, oh, she looks like a teacher. She's, you know, she's the part, if that makes sense. So I guess to, at the end of that, play, 
the part that you have, okay? Dress as professionally as you can and come across as professionally as you can, kind of in all aspects. Um, I'm sorry I got off on that tangent. It just like was one of my biggest goals and I feel like I really address it. And in fact, I think one of my principals uh, down the road actually had said something to me like, I love how you always look very professional. You're always on time. And so those are two of my kind of big things that I kind of made for myself um, during my first year for sure. Um, going back to parents. So I had a lot of people that responded that they were the scaredest of parents. So, okay, you can definitely deal with parent negativity, but at the end of the day, I feel, and again, my first year, I was so scared of parents that I feel like I almost didn't want to include them in any things. I didn't want parents to volunteer. Like, I was scared they would be sitting in the back judging me, and... I think parents, you guys, just want a sense of mind that, hey, you're taking care of my child, you're loving on my child, you're giving them the best that they deserve, right? Because parents, obviously, they want what's best for their kids. So if they're coming across you aggressive or negative, it's just because they are, you know, trying to support their kid and they just kind of really don't know the correct means of doing that. And sometimes people, when they think they're protecting their child, they may get a little aggressive or a little negative. So one of the things that I kind of learned was to kind of make parents feel as included as possible. And then I noticed that I had less backlash, if that makes sense. The more involved they felt, the more included they felt, the more in the know they felt, the the less I felt like afraid of them, if that makes sense. So I kind of, I think I've talked about this in a later episode, but one of the things that I do is I try to like send out as much information as possible so that parents are still in the dark. And I'm not saying things are perfect in my classroom, you guys. I still have parents that are in the dark. Not everyone uses email or sometimes flyers get lost or, you know, sometimes the kid just doesn't want to tell their parent the projects do and they haven't been working on it. Um, but I feel like for the most part, I have a very good communication. I use Class Dojo so parents could message me. They also can check Class Dojo for pictures and posts and files and basically status updates. I also send out a monthly newsletter. So every month they get an email that says upcoming dates, what we're going to be doing in the classroom, what to look forward to, what they should be see coming home, like just letting you know on this date we'll be taking the math two unit test. Um, just so they're familiar of like what things are to come because let's be real, especially in fifth grade, I don't think kids are sharing with their parents exactly the things they're doing um, and I don't blame them. Fifth grade is usually a year where I like to try and build as much independence in my students as possible by having them kind of take accountability for their own learning. Um, and so I feel like by making them feel as included as possible, um, that's kind of how I do it. And I just, I go more digital because when I sent out my parents' survey, I had all of them say they don't like, they don't like flyers being sent home. So, and all of them like email. And I also kind of set up a remind this year and a remind is great because it's a text message based, um, app where your parents sign up the ones that want it and what all I do have to do you guys is send out this little blast to the through the app and it will text all my parents so that's kind of nice too because the parents are kind of getting on their phone I know they're at least seeing it um, and so again I feel like the more they're in the know the better um, and, and just letting you know too I used to be so scared to allow anyone in my room like oh my gosh they're gonna see how much of a bad teacher I am but then you kind of learn like Okay, if I have people coming in, they can kind of more give you feedback like, oh, you know, you might need to work on this or you might need, if you do this, I think that that will work a little bit better. And so I kind of started to having more of the open door policy. Anyone's welcome. Um, parents, you know, they're just there to help. And so they're not there to sit there and judge you. Um, and so 
I, you know, kind of changed kind of that outlook. And I think I found um, a, a little a little bit better things, I guess you could say, um, come from it. I did a whole episode on parent-teacher conferences. So I'm just going to kind of really, really quickly touch on that because I had that kind of, this is kind of in that parent category. If you do student-led conferences, I found that they run a little bit smoother and the pressure's off a little bit. And it's kind of more showing that the student is taking responsibility for their learning and so I feel like the parent conferences aren't so scary um, especially with the with the kid there they're kind of almost the buffer in a sense um, and that's kind of why, how I feel parent conferences have gone my smoothest is when I have um, student-led ones parent conferences will also go a lot smoothly you guys if you make sure you're building in your your positive reinforcement what I say by that is Every couple weeks or so, I'll pick a couple students and I'll just make sure to send out something positive to their parents. Um, a lot of times, communication with parents is usually negative. And so you just want to set the tone with the parent that, hey, you know what, I see the wonderful things that you see in your child and I just want to let you know that I see them. So when you does come time, time for conferences, which, you know, conferences can sometimes be a little bit on the negative side, they know, you've built that, that relationship with the parent that, yes, I see these wonderful things then they get it. And so by the time you do go to conferences and it maybe might be a little bit more negative, they you have already built that positive relationship with them. And so they take it way better um, than if you hadn't have had that positive relationship. Um, so I want to make sure I get to the rest of the categories. <laughs> um, so that's just kind of parents and of like parents are scary or conferences. Um, that's kind of what I've learned and kind of my outlook, I guess you can say, um, say on that. Okay, so this next one was like a direct question and just felt like it fully encompasses some of the ways that I used to feel. And it just kind of goes to show that like whenever you're doing something new, you would just think of like the most ridiculous things uh, to be afraid about. And I was the same way, you guys. So this person had, um, you know, direct messaged me and asked me um, that they basically tell me like what to do if they, they feel super nervous, like they're nervous they're going to look dumb in front of their students. Um, and they said, I know it sounds silly, but just wonder what if I'm not smart enough and can't answer some of their questions. I don't want my students feeling like I don't know what I'm talking about, especially if I get placed in higher grades for student teaching um, or, you know, their first year teaching. And so this like, brought such a smile to my face because I totally remember being there. You have this persona that teachers are perfect. They know everything. You can ask them any question and they're always going to give you the answer. You know what? The, <laughs> it's actually really not that way. And kids are so receptive to that. And I feel like when you truthfully tell a student, you know what? I don't know that answer. But if you want to go home and research it or, you know, I'll go home and research it and come back and we can kind of talk about it. It kind of turns into a learning experience and it kind of shows them what to do if they don't know the answer. And it's just almost telling them too, like I'm a person, I'm not all knowing. Um, and I, that happens all the time. Like I'll have a kid that'll ask a question. I'm like, you know what? I actually have no idea. And I'm telling you guys, my kids get so excited to research it and bring it back and almost be like a little teacher because they'll come back with it written down and they report to the class and then the, our, my class gets so excited. And so we've kind of like turned it into something exciting rather than something scary with like, oh, shoot, I don't know that answer. I don't know how to respond to them. It's okay to say no. Um, the next part to that was kind of not 
knowing the material all the way and I'm not gonna lie what does help and what will make you feel better is I used to come home and I used to study the, the teacher's edition book all the time just so I knew kind of what to do what to what how to do things but I'm letting you guys know as much as you want to prepare yourself um and study it and just want to engulf yourself in the material there will be a time where you teach them something wrong and I'm telling you this right now because it's happened to me a few times and you just gotta look at them and be like you guys I'm so sorry. And I always like make a joke out of it. I'm so sorry. I must have not had my coffee today. I think I forgot to have my coffee. I totally taught you this thing wrong. And the kids like all laugh like, ah, Mrs. Horrock, you need to make sure to be drinking your coffee. And so like it kind of has come into like a little joke. And so in the mornings, my kids like whenever I make a mistake now, they're like, Mrs. Horrock, you must have forgot your coffee. And so now it kind of turns into a joke rather than them being like, you know, thinking you're incompetent, like you don't know what you're doing. Um, and I think it also kind of teaches the kids like such a powerful lesson that not everybody is perfect and that we all make mistakes and what happens is that we learn from them and we make sure to correct them and so you know I'm so sorry you guys I taught you this wrong forget what I taught you the day before and so then they we all laugh it off and then we kind of jump back into it and to be quite honest I don't think it ever even crosses their mind like oh my gosh my teacher doesn't know what she's doing because she did something wrong um in fact I think it kind of almost does the opposite it kind of makes you feel feel more human I guess you can say Okay, so this topic was, I got so many people asking about this and I'm going to put it kind of all under one umbrella of classroom management. So I had a lot of classroom management, discipline, kids not listening. Um, and yes, this part can be kind of scary and you guys, and I guess it kind of goes back to my very first year of teaching. I used to have this idea that I wanted to be this the coolest teacher and so nice and I wanted the kids to like me and I knew exactly how I thought, I'm going to say, I thought I knew exactly how I wanted my, my classroom to be ran. So about a couple months in, I felt like I was definitely not authoritative enough, if that makes sense. Um, I just kind of had a calm demeanor. Um, like when kids did things wrong, I like felt nervous like correcting them because I didn't want them to like me. I didn't want to do anything like strongly discipline wise I guess you can say to to get them to listen because I felt like oh my gosh then they're gonna think I'm like the worst teacher ever but long story short you guys they respect um they respect it when you have these parameters and you have these systems in place um so and it really the hard part is with classroom management you guys you really don't know what's going to work for you um or even what's going to work for that class until you know those first couple days or that first month yes i have my core way of doing things but for the most part i could have a class next year and again i use class dojo i, sh I could have a class next year where my whole dojo thing just does not work for these kids like they could care less if they're getting points or getting points taken away um, and so then I would have to take a step back and hopefully, you know, grab some of the tools that I have learned kind of along the way and apply them. So it's kind of almost like every now and then a little bit of a trial run. Um, and now my first week of school, and again, if you guys haven't listened to what I do on the first week of school, I would listen to those two episodes. It's um, a part one and part two. And I kind of talk about how I establish discipline um, as well as activities to do with the kids. Um, and so during that first week, I am just modeling, modeling, modeling. Um, I'm a very hands-on learner and I think kids learn the best when they're modeling it and going through it. You could tell kids till you're blue in the face something and they're not gonna get it. Um, and so I think modeling is key and consistency is key. So if you have them, if you want them to do something, you have them keep doing it until it's what exactly that you want it. The, the day that you don't 
let them stay up with that bar, right? If you lower that bar, like you're not feeling very good, you're tired, you're kind of sick, you didn't sleep very well the night before. Oh, they came in quiet, but I'm so, or they came in too loud, I'm too tired to make them go out and do it again. Um, that's the day that you kind of lowered your bar and now the kids think, oh, now we can kind of come in a little loud and crazy. And so the next day they're gonna come in a little louder and a little crazier. And you're just like, eh, whatever, this is how, this is just how they come in. Um, and the answer to that is no. Like I always make my kids do it again. And I'm, and it's not like, oh, you know, walk, you don't correct the behavior. You just say, okay, this is kind of exactly what I do. And, my, and then again, not every morning is perfect. Some kids, my kids come in straight perfect, know exactly what to do. Some days, maybe it's the full moon. No one will ever know. They'll just come in all wild and crazy. Like they've never been taught how to walk in a classroom before. And so I tell them, guys, We'll go back outside. And they know right away. They go, ooh, yeah, we were too loud. And I always talk about it like, why do you think I had us go out back outside? And they're like, because we didn't know what to do. We didn't go by your expectation. And so they line up in their nice straight lines. They come in. They sit down. They know exactly what to do. And yes, maybe it wasted like two more seconds. But because I told them, no, 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 that's not my expectation. I made them do it again. Tomorrow, they'll come back in and it'll be perfect. Um, and so... Again, it's by it's that consistency key. I don't know what it is with kids, you guys, but they're trying they're constantly trying to test that water. Yes, they stay where they're supposed to be, but like a month later, you might get a couple kids that are like, yeah, things have been too cushy. Let's see if I can get away with this. And so they'll try to, you know, kind of pass that bar and you have to you have to kind of say, you know what? No, that's not what's gonna happen. And so I think by just kind of making sure you stay by your word, that's the number one thing. Don't say you're not gonna do something and don't do it. Um is kind of the biggest thing. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and talk about a specific classroom management because I feel like I could do a whole episode on that. But I think that's pretty much just the key, making sure you're consistent, making sure that the rules that you haven't set aren't maybe too demanding or there aren't too, so many that they don't remember. Um, I think there's that whole rule, that, that whole thing where you should have no more than five so the kids know and can remember them. Um, and sometimes maybe having them create their own. I'm not saying create their own rules, but a lot of times, if, especially if you're in the upper grade classes, you can kind of, the kids now have been in school for, you know, seven, you know, depending on when they went to preschool or kinder plus years. So they know how to act in a classroom. So a lot of times if you kind of just like make an anger chart, make a contract, they will list the things out for you that they know they should behave. And that kind of leads into my next piece. You never want to assume anything <laughs> because my first year of teaching, I thought like, oh, well, kids know how to raise their hand. Kids by now know how to get in the line. Kids by now know how to walk in the classroom. Um, the answer to that is definitely no. Um, they, you think they would, but they don't. Um, on that first day of school, we walk through what a line's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to sound like, what it's supposed to feel like. We'll walk up and down. Um, we'll, we'll model through rotations. We'll go from the, from the, um, from their desk to the rug to the rug to their books to the books to the back to the rug and so we do this whole thing until oh nope it's not perfect we're doing it again sorry guys and just to make it fun i'm not saying oh no it's not perfect i tell the kids like ooh, out of 10 that was maybe like a seven and so they the kids like want to, they want to get a 10 so they go like oh okay and so they'll do it again i'll go oh that was like an 8.4 and they go like oh we can do we can do better and so it's not them it's not you saying like oh you're not getting there it's not perfect do it again it's kind of more like it wasn't a 10 out of 10 and i know you guys can do a 10 out of 10. um and so that's kind of the way the way to do it um now with classroom management, I'm gonna go kind of 
into listening because that's this is honestly a topic that I feel like I hear many times than not. Uh, my kids just don't listen to what I'm saying or my kids are constantly talking and chattering. And there are like a whole bunch of things that you can try and again, I'm gonna tell you right now, a lot of things are trial and error. Ooh, that didn't work, let's go to the next thing. Ooh, that didn't work, let's try the next thing. Ooh, that thing works. Okay, so keep doing that, doing that, doing that. Um, and a lot of times too, guys, to kind of keep things fresh, like I feel like my classroom management's pretty under lock and key. I use the house systems in my classroom. And again, if you don't know what that is, I think my second episode um, using the house system in your classroom talks kind of all about that. And my kids love it, especially for upper grade there. They just eat it up. Um, and so, and one thing that I kind of like is I can kind of always throw things in and kind of tweak things a little bit for them to be able to earn house points. Okay. Um, or what they can do with those house points. And so it's, it gives me a sense of flexibility and kids always love things that are new. And so by giving them, okay, you know what, now this month, if you guys, if you're the, if, um, to earn more house points, you can do this. And so they just kind of, again, kind of eat it up. And I think doing things new, like around Christmas time, I usually kind of change up my system just slightly. And that's a, because around Christmas time, kids get kind of a little, little crazier. They get excited that they're about to go on winter break. They get excited that Christmas is coming. They get excited because maybe they're eating a little bit more sugar than they normally do. Um, and so I try to th kind of put all my classroom management into like high gear. And so I'll do almost like a little like holiday themed thing where they can kind of spend their points on things. Um, they can, and it's not even, the thing that I like too is that they could spend their points for friends. And so they couldn't buy them for themselves. They had to buy them for friends like almost as gifts. And so they just loved it and ate it up. And so I think by constantly adding new things sometimes when things, you know, aren't working or when you know times of need are going to be like that. So for me, around Christmas time, I'll amp it up. Around kind of about spring break time, you kind of amp it up. And then kind of from there until the end of the year, I am constantly changing things around you guys because especially fifth graders, they are over being in school. And so you kind of just have to know when the seasons flow to know when you probably need to change or add or take away things. Um, but for the most part, I have that backbone of, of the health system. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about listening. So listening... <laughs> Can be, can be tricky and it really, again, depends on your students that you have and the age group that you have. Um, but the biggest thing is, and I tell my kids all this time, is I, you wanna make sure that your kids are looking at you. Um, if they're not looking at you, I, and I tell my kids all the time, if you're not looking at me, I can't tell that you're listening. So a cue, a cue, a cue I'm sorry, you guys, a cue for me that you're listening is your eyeballs are on me. So I'm constantly like, eyeballs, where, my, where are your eyeballs at? And so when we do call and responses, or we practice call and responses, I have them do the response. So they'll do the clap or the slap or the little thing with their hands, which I'll get to in a minute is key. They, I make sure they have laser focus at me. And I always talk about like, oh, Oh, guys, I'm missing a couple eyeballs. So we're going to do that again. So we'll do it again. Mm, okay, I'm still missing one eyeball. Okay, now i got all the eyeballs. And so, and then I'll talk um, what, I'm, what I wanted to address their attention. And so I feel like you always want to make sure kind of their eyeballs are on you. And I always kind of, and again, it's one of my big things in my classroom. Even if I'm not the one speaking, your eyeballs are on whoever is speaking. Um, and so one of the things that I got from Hope and Wade is they have these amazing call and responses and I'm sure you've seen them on their Instagram. So one of the ones that's my favorite is, um, I'll say, oh guys, Katie has the floor when I see that kids don't have their eyeballs. And so they go like, ooh, 
food tracker and they like take their hands and they like kind of lasso them around their head and they point at whoever is speaking. And so I, my big thing with my kids is I tell them, you guys, you need to make sure that your shoulders are facing whoever is speaking. And they used to look at me like, why? And then I tell them because your, your neck is attached to your shoulders, right? Well, guess what? Your head naturally wants to face the direction that your shoulders are facing. And I have them practice this. I'm like, okay, I want you guys to turn your shoulders to the left side of the room. So they'll all turn the left side of the room and I'll say, okay, keep them there. And I want you guys to like keep your eyes on me and see how long you can do it. And so it's just kind of a good thing for them to show like, okay, wherever my shoulders are facing, that's where my head will naturally go. And so a lot of times I'll tell their kids, if you need to move your chair so that your chair is facing the speaker, and it's a lot easier in my classroom because our, our chairs have wheels, but it takes a second, you guys, for the kids just to take their chair and turn it. So it's facing the speaker. So they're more comfortable um, with doing that. Um, it's also great to have agreeing and disagreeing symbols. And so I just kind of looked up some, and again, these were also from Hope and Wade. I've seen teaching and so forth have a couple different ones too. And it's just a hand signal that you want your kids to use when they agree with whoever is speaking. And then they have hand signals to show that they disagree with what kids are speaking. What this does is it makes the, the student look engaged as they're, as they're listening. I know who an engaged listener is because they're doing the symbols. Um, and showing me that they agree or don't agree. And so it's kind of nice too, because it'll kind of show you almost who you want to pick on next. Like if everyone's agreeing in your classroom and you look over and you see Johnny disagreeing, I might say, Johnny, how come, um, what made you disagree? I would love to hear. And so like they'll stand up and it's kind of nice because then they'll discuss kind of why they thought they didn't agree with the statement. It's also a great learning experience because a lot of times I'll ask a student for an answer and I'll say, do we agree with that class? And so they'll either do an I agree or disagree. So if they said an answer and the whole kid, class is saying disagree I go then go back to the student and I'm like oh okay so I'm sensing that maybe we did made like a little silly mistake and so I'll have the and I'm not even joking you guys as soon as they see the whole class do that I nine times out of ten my students will go like oh I know what I did wrong and I say okay what did you do wrong and they'll tell me like oh I forgot to regroup or I forgot to put the decimal place and then I'm like okay well what's the right answer and so then the kids give me the right answer and so it's kind of nice because it helps the kids kind of see their mistakes um, and it shows that all the kids are listening and again um, another thing too is like when you want your kids to listen to you okay so say I, I did a recall and response eyeballs are on me the biggest thing I learned is you want to start speaking right away um, if you sit there and you wait, like a lot of times kids are used to a lot of wait time. Um, I think I forgot what book I read, but it said that kids do a lot of waiting at school. And so, um, you want to make sure you're getting to your point right away. Like I called your attention. I'm not going to waste a single second. I'm going to start talking. And so what happens is your students will start to notice, oh, if I start talking right away, I'm going to miss some important instruction. And I don't like to repeat my instructions. So my kids you know as soon as I'm talking, that's where I'm, we're in it to win it. Um, and a lot of times, it's okay to wait if you need to. Like a lot of times I'll go to speak and I might have a couple of students, you know, that are talking still and I'll go, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to wait for you guys to finish your conversation, I guess. And then we'll stop. And so they get kind of like, ooh, they'll put their eyeballs back on me and then they kind of know. Um, and I have like a really good class this year. So their listening skills are kind of on point, but kind of you guys, and this kind of goes with that consistency key, right? I'm constantly doing these things, um, no matter how good I'm not feeling. Um, 
and I feel like it's kind of helping with the listening, with their eyeballs, their bodies facing the way they're supposed to be facing, their agreeing, the disagreeing symbols, um, and just making sure that whenever you're speaking, their eyeballs are on you. Um, another big thing too is I, I like to make sure there is no clutter on the desk. So a lot of times, Sometimes when you're maybe sharing or lecturing aloud, I'll maybe, you know, you can kind of gaze around the room and you might see a couple kids like writing things down. So a lot of times too, I'll say, you know, guys, okay, pencils down, right? And so I'll look around the room and I'll see some. I'm like, dude, guys, there is no reason we should be writing right now. So I shouldn't see any pencils in your hand. So if you are ready to learn, go ahead and put your hands up in the air. And so I'll have them put their hands up in the air. Okay, now we're ready to learn. And so a lot of times you just do like little things like that. And you guys, these are all like little tricks I've learned along the way. Um, from observing other kids, people's classrooms. Um, okay, put your pencil on the air if you, when you're ready, like that kind of stuff, so that you can kind of see their hands. One of the biggest things I've learned <laughs> is try to have as least clutter as you can on the desk as possible, and you kind of always want to see the kids' hands. So back to where I said um, about the call and responses, you want to make sure they're either clapping, slapping the desk, doing some type of hand movement, and the reason because of that is you want to make sure that they have nothing in their hands when you're going to speak. Um, when they clap, there's no way they can have a pencil in their hand. When they have like their hands up in the air doing like little jazz hands, there's no way they can have a pencil in their hand. When they're slapping the desk, there's no way they can have a pencil in their hand. So they start to learn when I do a call and response to drop the pencil, do the call and response, and then they won't have that pencil in their hand when you're giving the instruction. Um, and I've just kind of kind of found that, uh, that super helpful when it comes um, to listening skills. Um, so now... I'm going to go ahead and talk a tiny, tiny, I almost said teensy, a tiny bit about lesson planning, getting along with other teachers. Okay, so <sighs> lesson planning can be a little scary, but to me, since it's like the planner inside of me, I like absolutely love it. Um, again, it just really depends on what your curriculum is and like what your your team is, because a lot of times we'll do team, um, team planning, and at the beginning of the year, we kind of map out like our field trips and when we want to do big things together but then we'll kind of do our own so what thing that helped me is I if you have a teacher's edition book if you have one of those curriculums a lot of times what I did is I would kind of open them up and just kind of map out like if I want to make sure I get through this whole curriculum um where do I need to be in March and so I just kind of sat there and guys this took me a while to do but I teach the same grade level so I just use the same uh, pacing map year to year. Um, and so I just kind of color coded like unit one, it says it takes six weeks. So I'd map out, okay, unit one in green takes six weeks. Okay. That takes me to, um, that takes me to the end of September. And so you just kind of sit there and map it out and color code it. And then you can kind of see like, okay, so I need to make sure that by March I'm at unit six. And so it just kind of helps you, I guess you could say, just kind of map out for the most part though, like that's just like the grand scheme of things. For the most part, I don't plan out like the little nitty gritty details, um, except for week by week. And I do that because I plan based off kind of how my kids are doing. And I think that's the best way of planning. You don't want everything planned down to the T to the last day of school because you don't know where your kids are gonna be at. Um, a lot of times, and yes, I'll plan out like, okay, I wanna be on lesson one, then two, then three. But if we get to three and I see they're struggling with making common denominators, I kind of stretch three out and we kind of, you know, make common denominators, make common denominators, keep practicing that skill maybe a little bit longer than what I would. And so I highly suggest that 
you kind of make a plan for yourself, like a grand scheme. But when it comes down to like zooming in on what lesson or what standards you're hitting, um, I would make sure you're kind of doing that week by week. Um, and so what I did was I just kind of pick one day a week where I stay late. Um, and that's kind of my lesson planning day. So I make sure that I write it down in my planner, I write it down in my plan book, and I have it all set. I'll have my links attached, I'll have all that my copies made, and I actually have a parent that comes in on Mondays and she makes all the copies for me, so I'll make sure I have all my master copies laid out for her, and then when she comes on Monday, she gets all my copies ready for the week. Um, and I think that's kind of where, how I feel the most organized, um, and how you make sure you're really addressing your kids, and how you make sure you're staying kind of on pace with what things need to be. Now, honestly, to me, if I don't get to certain things, it's really not the end of the world um just for me there are certain things that I want to hit before my kids get to state testing because um in California we do the standardized testing the um, SBAC and there are certain concepts where I feel like are a little bit more difficult that I want to make sure they understand before they get there <laughs> um and then there are other things like at the end of the school year we really work just on word problems because those are so difficult and I feel like they get word problems kind of throughout the year and we dive deep into it so that whole lesson on word problems I don't mind kind of saving till the end because they've had a practice on it kind of all year and it's kind of a good note to end on it's not like a huge difficult concept like dividing fractions um and so okay so so that's the um kind of lesson planning and it kind of helps to me if I when I took home all my TEs and I saw kind of everything laid out <laughs> and by color coding everything I think that just helped the organizer um and me um someone also wrote this um in saying other teachers like they were afraid they weren't going to get along with other teachers and I thought that's so sweet but to be quite honest like think of it like going to school right you didn't like always get along with all of your classmates or you weren't always best friends with all of your classmates but for the most part you kind of got along with them I would say that's just like it is with the other teachers I feel like I get along pretty well with all of the teachers at our school but there are definitely a select few that I feel like I just kind of hang around with and it has nothing to do with personality it just has more to do with grade level um, I feel like I hang out a lot more with my upper grade level team rather than the other ones but it is great um, every now and then, like for example, we're doing talent show with then we're doing a teacher dance. So it's kind of fun to be able to hang out with kind of the lower grades for once and kind of hang out with teachers that I probably normally wouldn't. Um, but I would just say, don't be afraid of that. Um, I mean, the scariest part, I guess you could say, would be if it's like you're on your grade level team and you don't get along with them. Um, my, my biggest thing that I've learned is just always be nice, never talk bad about anybody. Um, and I know this, that can kind of get into a dark place when teaching. Like if you go into the lounge, sometimes it can get negative. Um, I just would always be nice because if you kind of present yourself that, that way and professionally, there really is nothing truly that they can say bad about you. And if they are going to say things bad about you, it's going to be out of jealousy or just kind of their own insecurities. And so that's kind of, I guess, my biggest thing always be nice, always be professional. <laughs> and again, you've probably heard me say that like a million times. Um, okay, this is getting kind of long, so I'll touch on just kind of maybe one, maybe two more, because um, this was these, oh, the both two. One was one that I definitely was scared of and one I didn't think of until I was actually halfway in my school year. So the first one is kind of that teacher burnout. I know some people kind of hear it all the time um, about teacher burnout, 
It is something that is really, truly real. And I feel like it hits you the hardest in your first couple of years because you kind of really don't know how to pace yourself. You don't know how years are supposed to be. Um, and the biggest thing I can say is make sure you're going home in a decent hour. Don't be staying too late. Um, like I said previously, maybe pick one day of the week to stay late. I highly suggest don't go in on the weekends unless you have a big like transformation you're trying to prep. Um, you need the days that you have off as a teacher. And like this is what makes me so mad sometimes when people are like, oh, you're a teacher. You get weekends and holidays and a whole summer off. Well, it's because we need it for our health <laughs> so we don't go insane. Um, teaching can be tough, but it can be also so, so rewarding. And so when you have your weekends, you have your days off, you get have your minimum days, I suggest just go home, hang out with your family, have some you time, go get a pedicure, go for a run, do whatever it is that kind of clears your mind that something for you. Um, because if you don't have something for you, you will get burnt out. My first year, I feel like I was putting so much effort into my kids, my kids, my kids, being a better teacher. I want to be a perfect teacher. I want to be a perfect teacher that I kind of stopped doing the things that I love and the things that kind of helped me clear my mind. And so I literally felt so tired by the time I got to Christmas break. And I remember thinking like, oh, Oh my goodness I have like basically a whole half of the year left how am I going to get through this um and just know that by having your people to talk to having your your thing to do that makes you feel better having you surrounding yourself with positive people those things will kind of help you not have that burnout the number one thing you guys is especially when it comes to grading it will be there tomorrow never take home grading it will never get done and then you'll feel even worse that you took it home and you never did it all the time I had high hopes of me grading these tests and you guys they never got done so what I started doing is just kind of grading during my prep or grading a little bit after school I'd set a timer like I'm only going to stay to till this time and once the timer came off okay I'm done um one of the biggest things that has helped me with grading is Google Classroom. So if you can go to one-to-one -to -one or you can do things digitally, I would highly suggest it because it really does help with like mass grading. A lot of times I'll make my tests so that Google just grades it automatically and it's fine because I can just push things through. Um, I, even if it's just like one or two questions that I have to check um, to see to make sure they're written in complete sentences, that's like seven less questions that I have to check and now I only have to check two. Um, I can write responses, I can give feedback and my kids get their grades right away. Um, and so that's kind of how I stay on top of it. Um, for the ones that I have to hand grade, like I said, I just set a small little timer for myself after school and that's kind of how, how late I'll stay. Um, and like I said, it'll be there for you when you come back. And it's nice because on the weekends, when you, if you don't bring it home, it's not sitting there haunting over your head. You're able to enjoy your weekend, hang out with your husband, hang out with your family, do what you need to do, come back Monday refreshed and ready to go. And then you might actually want to grade them. <laughs> um, and again, if you're one of those that do come bring it home and grade, no, nothing wrong with that. But I just think personally, it's better just to kind of leave it at the classroom. Um, okay, so now I'm gonna kind of talk about the last thing and that is, observations. <laughs> so this is the one category that I told you will probably always be scary. Um, my mom and my mother-in-law are both teachers and they tell me, or at least, yeah, they tell me that they still get nervous for observations. Um, it's just one of those things that when you know someone's sitting there, you know, basically judging the way you're doing something, it can be very scary. 
Um, I don't know why, but last year, and so in California, they have it so that you get observed every year until you get tenure. So this is my first year not getting observed and it feels like almost weird. Um, and I might have her just come in just to watch me just to make sure I'm still doing everything okay. That's the type of person I am. Um, and it's very scary and intimidating because you have someone in the back, you know, jotting down notes as you're teaching and you're the whole time they're jotting down things. You're like, oh, why'd they write something down? Do like, were they feeling like I did something wrong? Um, and the best thing that I can say for you, and this is what my, this is what my thoughts used to be. I used to think, okay, teach the way that the curriculum supposed to be taught, do things the way that they imagine school supposed to be. And so I kind of fit myself in this box and taught the way that I thought that I was supposed to ta- teach. And that made me nervous because it almost wasn't my true self teaching. Um, and then this past observation, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to do what I always do, um, do kind of a little bit more of a creative lesson um, that was a little bit more out of the box. Math is my jam, so I had her observe a math lesson. And it was something that was just so different than I think she was used to seeing that she just loved what I did and I felt comfortable doing what I was doing. Um, so I just had the kids come to the, the rug. We did a little bit of a math talk that got them prepared and ready for the lesson. Then I had them do these test cards around the room and it was just super fun and engaging. The kids were learning and working with teams and being really quiet and respectful. And then they had like a little thing to work on if they finished early. And so I, um, think that by just kind of doing your teaching the way that you feel the most comfortable, you will feel the most comfortable when it comes to observation. Um, And I kind of felt less nervous when like I just kind of thought of her as like not even being there. I used to think like, okay, they're not even there. If they weren't sitting right there, kind of how would I lead my math lesson? And I feel like by by doing that, I kind of calmed myself down and kind of got into my jam and kind of forgot that they were even sitting there and she had even told me kind of at the end that it was one of the best observations that she'd ever seen and so it kind of also makes you feel good when you get um when you get great feedback too but I just think the more comfortable you are and if you do it just the way that you're used to which sounds so dumb like yeah no duh Haley you're they're observing how you teach um you the better kind of it'll come and the funny thing to think too is you know if something goes wrong, it's kind of almost nice when they're in there because then they can tell you kind of things you can do to work on. And so I used to be so nervous to kind of fail in front of my principal or to fail in front of people that were observing you. But in a sense, that's kind of what they're there for. They're not going to fire you for making a mistake because God knows teachers make mistakes, especially in their first year. And so you kind of almost need to think of it as, you know what, that flopped. Let's turn it into a learning experience rather than sitting there and like, you know, dreading on it. Um, And who better to tell you how to fix it than someone that's been in the teaching profession for a very long time. And so that, I guess, is kind of the way you need to think of it. And again, I will probably get a little more nervous when I have my next observation, I think, um, next year. I think it's every other year after you're tenured. Um, Then... I will, I'll get back to you on that. But to me, that's kind of the the best observation I had. That's kind of the approach that I had it. And I kind of saw saw the most success for it. Um, so this has been an incredibly long episode. I'm sorry. I had so much to say. And I even looking at my list of things, I feel like there's a lot of things that I left out. So I will definitely have to make sure to turn those into um, episodes. But stay tuned because next week I probably will have a whole episode on classroom management because that was the biggest one that I got questions on. And then that one, I will dive deep into uh, specific strategies that I use, that I love, that I try, and that I have in my toolbox. Um, And so 
I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Please do not forget to leave a, uh, to rate and to review. That's kind of what keeps this podcast going, makes my day. Um, and I also, every Tuesday, pick one of the reviews to kind of highlight and talk about. And they get a little freebie from my Teachers Pay Teachers store. So make sure when you leave a review, you leave your Instagram handle and so you can be entered into that. Um, and again, if you guys have any questions or, you know, want to dive deeper about something, I love talking on social media. So you can hit me up at hello, Mrs. Harwick, um, direct message me. I also have a blog, hello, Mrs. Harwick.com where you can contact me or send me a message. And then I also have email where you can reach me at hello, Mrs. Harwick at gmail.com. And I am very fast with responding. So don't be afraid. Um, and again, I have time for anybody. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh, she probably gets so many messages, there's no way she will message me back. It is one of my number one goals to always respond. So if you have something, do not hold back. Um, so this has been a wonderful time talking with you guys and I hope you enjoyed everything. If you are listening to this on a Tuesday, I hope you're having a fantastic Tuesday. And if you're listening to this on a day that's not a Tuesday, I hope you're having a fantastic day in general. Remember that you are a fantastic teacher and you are doing amazing things. And even if you are not a teacher and you're on your way to be one, don't worry, you'll get there. You got this. We were all in your shoes. No one's judging you. Um, I think the best quote that I've ever heard was, no one above you is going to ever judge or criticize you, aka it's the people that are below you. <laughs> so have a good one and I will see you guys next week. So I guess this is it till next time. Yes, don't forget to check out the show notes for any of the links that I discussed in today's episode. If you enjoyed today so far, please share it with a friend um, because the more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in and I can't wait to see you guys next time.